presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast, a special primetime edition here on WBSM. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa. How are you tonight, Matt? I'm doing all right. You uh, you ready for this primetime show? It's a little bit earlier than usual. Did you I get know, a nap I usually, in? Or? I usually don't get up till this time. Really? Yeah. You get up at 6 to get ready for a 10 o'clock show? It's my only day off. That's true, it is. And it's like your first day off in like 20 days, 21 <laughs> days, something yep. like that. And we drag you in here yeah. to do some work. Yep. Well, we are Spooky South Coast. We talk about the paranormal each and every week from 10 to midnight on Saturday nights. Uh, but due to NFL football, we have a special primetime edition for you tonight and next week as well. So uh, if you don't usually get a chance to stay up late and hear what we're all about, you will for the next two weeks. And then on the 29th, we'll give way to the New England Patriots. But we are working on putting together a special New Year's Eve show that will air after the college football game on New Year's Eve. So. Stay tuned to SpookySouthCoast.com, where we have updates all the time on our blog. And, of course, if you're on MySpace, join us there at MySpace.com slash SpookySouthCoast. Generally, I mean, we talk about ghosts, UFOs, aliens. We had a great show a couple weeks ago on a couple of South Coast hauntings. Uh, We've talked about Lizzie Borden, Bed and Breakfast, and all the hauntings going on there. I mean, what else? What haven't we talked about? Conspiracies. Which... Are we getting into that tonight? We might get into conspiracies okay. a little bit tonight. Uh, my, my that wife, could be interesting. My wife tried to make me promise not to talk about conspiracies when but we talked about brought tonight's it up. topic. But yeah, since you did. See, I think there's actually a conspiracy to keep us from talking about it, and uh, she's behind it. She's part of the she's part of the problem, not the solution. But uh, we are taking a break from our usual paranormal discussion tonight because we also think that part of our job here is to present to you alternative news and viewpoints that you might not usually hear on the radio. It sounds kind of strange, you know, because WBSM is a great talk station and they they cover so many topics, but there's just some stuff that never seems to come up amidst all the, you know, the political talk and the, you know, lifestyle talk, the things that they tell you about talk with you about each day regarding your life. Sometimes, you know, we take for granted a lot of the smaller stuff that goes on, like going to the store and buying products off the shelves. And it wasn't until I'd say probably the last six months or so that it's really hit the news media hard, all of the product recalls for different toxins and lead paint and, and unsafe levels of lead in different products. Seems like there was a new one like every other week. It was, and I have a yeah. three-year-old, <laughs> so we have a lot of toys in my house. And there wasn't a night that went by that we weren't watching the news and it said, you know, some other toy recalled for lead paint, and we'd go through the toy box and sure enough, and there it is. That's probably hard for your... Uh your child to see all your toy, all his toys being thrown away. It, and, or well, you have to ship them back ship to the company, back. and then who knows how long it's going to take you Did to... they replace them? For, to some degree. I mean, yeah. uh, some of the Thomas the Tank Engine toys we were able to send out and get back a new uh, lead-free versions of, but some of them... I mean, it just reached the point where we finally looked at, you know, what the products were. You know, the fact that uh, our son is three years old, doesn't put a lot of toys in his mouth, you know, doesn't have the kind of exposure some younger kids might have to some of these toxins. So 
uh, we just kind of let them keep some of the toys. I mean, I, I don't know. That might sound kind of bad, but I'm sure a lot of parents went the same route. Uh, basically, if your child has lead poisoning, uh, your your physician can give you all the information about you know whether or not they have lead poisoning, what some of the symptoms are. Uh, and we talked with our physician at length, and he said, you know, don't worry about it. Um, it a lot of these toy recalls are just for unsafe levels, not uh, dangerous levels. So, But we'll talk all about that tonight with our guest, Mark Shapiro, who is the author of a gripping new book, Exposed, The Toxic Chemistry of Everyday Products and What's at Stake for American Power. Now, Mark is uh, an investigative journalist who spent uh, a couple of years putting this book together, and he went all over Europe and talked to people involved with what's going on over in Europe with their testing of these products and what kind of bans they've put in place on certain chemicals. And, of course, our science advisor, Matt Moniz, on his way to the studio right now because, you know, we forgot that it's a, a primetime show tonight. I, I could have come up with some nice cover story for him and said he's investigating out in the field and he'll be here as soon as he can or, you know, he's conducting some tests on some potential, potentially unsafe Christmas products. But basically, he thought we were on a ten. So, oh well. and you know he's got the uh, the maroon missile flying down one ninety five <laughs> as we speak. Hopefully, there aren't any uh, state police uh, listening to the show. Well, they are listening. That's why they're going to just let him go by. Oh, okay. <laughs> they they like spooky South Coast, and they know how important he is to tonight's topic because they see that bumper sticker on the back, and they know not to not to mess. Exactly between the Freemason symbol and the spooky South Coast bumper sticker, but. A lot of people, you know, do know this out in the audience, but if, if you are new to the show, Matt Moniz is actually a research chemist by trade. Uh, that's what his day job is when he's not out hunting ghosts and investigating UFO crash sites and everything else he does in the paranormal realm. He's a research chemist for a pharmaceutical company. And so he's done a lot of the testing on some of these products that we're going to talk about. He's had exposure to them, he's studied them, and he understands them inside and out. And so he's going to offer us his perspective as well to a lot of these products that we'll be talking about with Mark. Maybe you have uh, something that you bought that was recalled that caused you an inconvenience. Maybe you have questions about these recalls and, and why these products are being put out uh, with such shoddy regulations. Uh, the book Exposed gets into it and gets into the differences between what Europeans and other countries uh, require their levels to be and how lax the United States is uh, in some of their Requirements. So we'll get into all of that with Mark. And, of course, uh, anytime you want to call in and share any of your topics on the paranormal, any questions, thoughts, theories, experiences, you can give us a call at 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. Uh, we will be on until 7.30 tonight. Uh, what we'll do is we'll take our break at 7 o'clock for the CBS News, come back with the return of the week and weird. It's been a few weeks because our shows have been so huge we haven't had time. But that's where we present to you some of the weirder news stories of the past couple of weeks. And then we can close the show out with just about anything you want to talk about. We'll offer up our opinions of uh, some of the new paranormal programming coming on to television as well. But uh, again, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500, other numbers to call if you want to talk with us tonight. Next week we will be back at our 6 p.m. time slot with our guest Courtney Roberts, author of The Star of the Magi, the mystery that heralded the coming of Christ. So just in time for Christmas, we're going to talk about stuff that might anger Christians. That's, that's, that's what we do. We push <laughs> buttons here at Spooky South Coast. Cross not, lines. Not just literally, Matt Costa. Yep. But, uh, yeah, we are going to talk about uh, the 
star of the, the star of Bethlehem and the Magi and what it all means astrologically and uh, this this great book that Courtney Roberts put out it's you know it, it takes things from a lot of different perspectives so we're going to get into all of that with her next week and then coming up in January more big shows uh, we've recently agreed uh, made an agreement with uh, Alexandra Holzer to come on the show she is the daughter of the legendary Hans Holzer what we're going to try to do is we're going to try and have uh, Dr. Holzer, Hans Holzer, on in the first hour. And then in the second hour, we'll talk to Alexandra about her new book, which is now uh, taking pre-orders from Schiffer Publishing. It comes out next month, but if you go to Schiffer's website, uh, SchifferBooks.com, where you can also find books by Chris Balzano, Dark Woods, <laughs> and uh, books by Tom D'Agostino, Haunted Massachusetts, Haunted plug Rhode plug. Island, Haunted plug New Hampshire. Plug. Huh? Plug, plug. Plug, plug, yes. Plug, plug all of our friends' books. But uh, all those books are available just in time for Christmas. If uh, there's somebody on your list that likes the paranormal, that's really interested in hauntings and ghosts and different uh, aspects of paranormal investigation, definitely go to shifferbooks.com and check out a lot of the titles there. And if you'd like to get Mark's book while we're talking about uh, these chemicals and these toxic products tonight, Expose the Toxic Chemistry of Everyday Products and What's at Stake for American Power is available through chelseagreen.com. That's the publisher's website. It's linked up to the blog at SpookySouthCoast.com. Uh, they are currently out of um, copies of the book to ship out, but they are taking orders, and when the next shipment comes in, they'll send them out as soon as possible. So uh, why don't we take a break? When we come back, we will talk with Mark Shapiro about some of these tainted products. Uh, it'll be a very tainted Christmas here on Spooky South Coast. Beaming from the studios of AM 1420 WBSF into the night and beyond. Here's more of Spooky South Coast. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, welcome back to, to Spooky South Coast. It's nice to get a little Belle Biv DeVoe here on WBSM, but it uh, is kind of an appropriate topic when we're talking about some of the toxins that are in some of the products that we will discuss tonight. Uh, Mark Shapiro is the editorial director of the Center for Investigative Reporting in San Francisco. He has written extensively on foreign affairs, and his work has appeared in Harper's, The Atlantic Monthly, The New York Times Magazine, and other publications, and he has reported stories for Frontline, now with Bill Moyers and Public Radio's Marketplace. So uh, he is joining us tonight to talk about his new book, Exposed, The Toxic Chemistry of Everyday Products and What's at Stake for American Power, and the website for his book is linked up to our website, SpookySouthCoast.com, if you want to check that out while we are talking. Good evening, Mark. How are you? Good evening. Great to be here. It's great to have you. We are very uh, excited to present this information to our listeners because it's something that should be talked about more on talk radio that I don't think is being discussed enough. Well, I, th- I think, I, think uh, uh, I, would, I would agree with you on that, on that score. And, uh, and what, of course, I, I, I write about in the book, really, is this phenomenon of basically all these kind of hidden uh, chemicals and hidden dangers behind things that look very uh, harmless and uh, things that we engage with on a daily level and talk about these sort of unknown uh, uh, dangers that are presented really through the chemicals that have been integrated into, into, into all the consumer products that we encounter really regularly. How much, we don't know, but I'm trying to unearth uh, and tell people what's in there. Well, that's, and, the, that's the one thing about you know talk radio is, and many stations are just like, across country, just like WBSM here. You know, it's marketed toward you know. There's a lot of housewives that listen to this programming, 
And mm-hmm. so there's a lot of commercials for Procter and Gamble and for all these different cosmetic companies and pharmaceutical companies and so many of these products that are advertised here on the station. You, you need to kind of get the other side of what's going on as well. Yeah, well, that's a pretty good point. Uh, since I do talk about uh, uh, companies like Procter and Gamble and others that essentially are behind the marketing of uh, of many uh, consumer products, you know, from cosmetics to toys to uh, to uh, to electronic devices and such like that, and and there is a, a great you know influence that advertisers, of course, have in the media. So it's very hard to get this stuff out into the uh, into the public. And uh, yet, I think there's been a pretty concerted effort by uh, many American companies to uh, to prevent people from knowing how many of these pro- uh, products are constituted and uh, what is inside them, what the chemicals are, and that's, of course, what I write about. And, and it's. It, it, it's a nerve somewhere. <laughs> well, sure. But it seems like, too, a lot of times when people do try to present this side of things and they talk about some of these chemicals, uh, you know, they're immediately shut down as being the green freaks and the, you know, the environmental freaks and people are being overly concerned. You know, I've, I've washed my hair with that shampoo every day for my whole life and nothing bad has ever happened to me. And, and that's just the mentality that we have as consumers where, you know, until, you know, there's a, a reason to stop using it, people aren't going to stop using it. Right. I mean, that's, that's, to be honest, that's one of the things that really gets me in the way that the, a lot of these issues are presented is, is that it's been kind of eco-free running around. Well, I can, uh, uh, I know we, we, have, we haven't yet met, but uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not really one of these eco-freaks, I can tell you that. And, uh, uh, but I will tell you that what gets me is, is I'm a journalist, and uh, what gets me is the amount of information that uh, people are not provided about really what are the potential dangers from these uh, products, and then let them make a decision. So that's what that's what I talk about in the book is really let's 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 get the information out there, and then people can make an informed decision as to kind of what kind of risk we're talking about here. Because what we're talking about really is not that by using, for example, one shampoo or one uh, uh, dose of eyeliner or one nail polish, you're you're going to get sick. That's not uh, the issue here. The issue is really the accumulation of chemicals over a lifetime, over 10, 20, 30 years, that you are uh, being exposed to uh, each individual dose, very small, from uh, from cosmetic or a toy or, or, or an electronic uh, device of some sort. But over time, those chemicals, many different types of chemicals that are carcinogenic, that are mutagenic, that cause damage to the reproductive system, uh, accumulate in the body. And that's when the damage starts being done, is 10, 20, uh, 30 years down the line. And we are seeing in this country, as well as elsewhere around the world, you know, rising rates of cancer, rising rates of endocrine uh, problems, uh, uh, dwindling uh, sperm counts in, among young men, uh, which is really when it shouldn't be happening, and, uh, and rising rates of infertility among young women. So what I write about in the book is the scientific uh, evidence that's beginning to suggest that, 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 that one contributing cause to these kind of rising uh, rates of illness could be all the chemicals that we're exposed to on a regular basis, individual on a very small, uh, on, on, on a one-by-one one basis, but over time and over years accumulate in our tissues. Where do you think they go? These things accumulate in our tissues, and that, I think, is what a lot of uh, scientists are, are, are growing increasingly concerned about. And now, in terms of the book itself, uh, the way that it, the way that you've written it, it kind of follows your journey in digging into the story as an investigative journalist. First of all, what was the impetus to get started, and just talk about the process of writing the book? Because you, you definitely put a lot of time into it. That's for sure. Yeah, I did. Well, I'm glad that's uh, that's clear. 
you know, and I really wanted to write a book, too, that was kind of not uh, overly loaded with technical jargon and all that and, and, and scary language and all that stuff that uh, that some of this topic is taken on with uh, frequently. I, 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 I wrote it as a journey because it is it was a journey for me, and part of what, what the journey is is, number one, a series of uh, increasingly eye-opening, to me anyway, revelations as to the kinds of uh, chemicals we're talking about. And what we're talking about here are things like, you know, cosmetics, for example. Who knew in this country that, um, that there is no independent body anywhere in the U.S. government that's determining what is or is not safe to be used in cosmetics? I mean, there basically is no body. And even when I, as I found deeper and deeper in doing the reporting, the, the complete lack of authority, even, even more than I perhaps anticipated, uh, I myself was surprised. At basically the fact that this stuff that the average you know American woman applies you know, ten to twenty of these items a day onto their skin, which is of course the the body's largest living organ is this, is the skin. So whatever is put on the skin ends up in the body. That's how it works. And yet there's no there's no independent authority anywhere saying whether or not this stuff is safe. So what I did. And what I found an interesting way to tell this story is I looked at basically how another economy that's very similar to that of the United States, which is the European Union, just across the water from you guys over there, uh, uh, in addition to having a lot of nice cathedrals uh, in, in Europe, they are also now the world's single largest market. So this is an economy that's comparable to our own here in the United States. And I said, all right, so they're looking at the same evidence of illness and disease and chemical contamination as we are. What are they doing about it? And in fact, in every case, for example, with, with cosmetics, they've begun to ban the chemicals that are carcinogenic and mutagenic and cause reproductive damage. Well, we here in the United States uh, have taken no such action. So you've got a situation where an economy comparable to our own is saying, hold on, this stuff is too dangerous for our people. We're going to start demanding it be taken out. And that, in fact, is happening. And so the interesting thing is that that in fact is happening, and 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 and, and far less toxic alternatives are being found uh, all over uh, Europe, while uh, while we here in the United States are still facing this collection of of, of carcinogenic and mutagenic and reproductive. Uh, toxins in, in in cosmetics across the board, and so I kind of took this journey myself, with, really with looking at the situation here, what the what the kind of evidence is here, and as I discovered uh, more and more, the one the dangers of chemicals, and and the other thing I found, uh, I have to say, is the evidence, the scientific evidence is is astounding. It's actually more uh, substantial even than I imagined when I began uh, looking into this. If you look at the scientific journals and everything about the dangers of chemicals, there's a mountain of this stuff. And so as you go into this journey, you find, number one, the increasing evidence as to the problems with these chemicals. And, uh, and that's what I did. And, and, and two, the very different responses um, on either side of the Atlantic to the same evidence. And that, to me, was kind of fascinating, and partly it's partly the journey that I take in the book, is realizing that the very same evidence of toxicity and the presence of these chemicals responded to very differently in the United States and in, uh, in, in the European Union, where they began to take real action to protect people from these chemicals. But back in the 70s, wasn't the United States, you know, the... The one that was leading the way in environmental reform, and now all of a sudden, you know, we're lagging behind the Europeans. Yeah, yeah, that's the other thing. I mean, that, that I mean, if you if you want to say one thing that motivated me to write this book was actually a, a rising knowledge and concern over the implications of the U.S. Uh, retreat from environmental leadership. I thought, you know, the United States is is is, is obviously being buffeted internationally by numerous uh, forces. 
And uh, but the but generally speaking, the the current uh, the government over the last six seven years, there's been a steady retreat from the ideas of environmental protection. And this is a huge shift from the 1970s and 80s, as you described, when it was the United States that was at the forefront of these issues of protecting Amer uh, Americans and protecting the American environment from environmental hazards. And what we did in protecting the air and the water uh, and the soil uh, and our own bodies, in fact, from environmental uh, contaminants and dangers, the rest of the world followed. And so what we did here in the United States, going back to the 70s and 80s, uh, Europe followed us, Japan followed us, the whole world followed us in those days. And now, uh, as we've seen, it's essentially steady retreat from uh, principles of environmental protection uh, here in the United States. The rest of the world has been moving ahead. They're not waiting for us anymore. And so the Europeans, in this case, have been looking at the, at, at the extraordinary you know, public health uh, crisis and also the extraordinary amount of, mo amount of money that has to be spent to, 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 to treat these kind of conditions. And it's saying, like, hold on, let's take some of this, get some of these chemicals right out of circulation. And, and what I look at in the book, and part of this kind of journey, really, is to realize that uh, that what we've been talking about here, and you mentioned earlier the eco-nuts and the, and the, and the eco-anxious uh, people and all these kind of neurotics around eco-questions, uh, it's often portrayed that way here, because, uh, because when we have these discussions in the United States here between industry and government and eco environmental people and, uh, and scientists and, and industry, it's often portrayed as the kind of eco-nuts on one hand and the rational, realistic uh, business uh, people on the other hand. And uh, if we take these environmental initiatives, uh, we're going to cost American jobs and we're going to cost American competitiveness and we're going to lose our stature uh, in the world. And in fact, what I did in the book, and it's part of my journey, is I, is I said, okay, well, let's, 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 let's look into that argument. And so I looked into that argument, and I went to the place where all these actions, uh, where these where these environmental issues are being taken, the chemicals are being removed, much more, much less environmentally damaging uh, modes of production are being exercised uh, in the European Union. And guess what? They're often being exercised by the subsidiaries of American corporations. So both American-owned corporations operating in Europe as well as Europe's companies. And I said, okay, so wait a minute, did the job loss happen? What was the economic impact? And what I found, and it was across the board that I found this, is that, is that no economic catastrophe happened, no jobs were lost. And in fact, many of those same companies, at least the European companies, are now um, providing a competitive challenge to our own companies because they've begun to clean up their products. Well, one of the uh, issues that you mentioned uh, early on in the book, and it's it's something that kind of blends in with uh, you know the Christmas shopping season, the holiday shopping season now, is a lot of people are worried about uh, toys and what's in toys. In fact, there was a article in today's New Bedford Standard Times, which is our local newspaper of record here, mm -hmm. and it deals with uh, local toy stores uh, that are not part of the big box chains. You know, getting more business this time of year because people are afraid of some of the products that are in the toys that are manufactured here in America or, or manufactured for American sale. Uh, one of the things that you talk about early in the book is uh, phthalates. Uh, why don't you tell everybody what those are and what kind of impact they would have on youngsters? Yes, I'll tell you, that, that does sound like a really interesting story that you just had in the paper there. I'd, I'd like to see it myself. Cause sure, I, that, I'll, this is, I'll forward you a copy of it. Yeah, that'd be great because this is an issue that really hits home and it literally comes to people's homes. And uh, and the case of phthalates, I think, is a, is, a, is a very good example of the phenomenon we're talking about. Uh, phthalates are are this is a chemical additive to plastic, 
And what it does, it makes plastic uh, kind of soft and pliable and, uh, and, and, and kind of, you know, it enables uh, children really to play with toys. So all those kind of rubber duckies that, uh, that you might remember or some of your listeners have, may have right now in their bathtub. Uh, and the goofy little animals, the plastic giraffes, and all those fun things that kids like to play with. Well, often they're made so soft by the use of phthalates. Uh, now, what's happened is really over the past number of years, a mounting body of evidence suggesting that actually phthalates, what they do, uh, kids exposed both through the womb and, and then through playing with them and sucking on them exposure, is uh, they can actually uh, 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 contribute to decreases in the production of testosterone. Uh, which is, of course, the male sexual hormone. And uh, uh, I don't need to stress enough that this is probably something you don't really want to be playing around with in the first couple of years of, of life. Mm. And, uh, and the evidence on this, and I, and I write about this in, in my book, of course, is quite strong and, uh, and, and really quite disturbing. So uh, what's happened is that, the, uh, is that the European Union has looked at this evidence uh, and has looked at the evidence of the effects that phthalates could have on the developing uh, sexual development uh, of the young males, young boys, and, um, and, uh, and, and has actually opted to ban the use of phthalates in toys for children under the age of three. So can't have them in the European Union. They've been eliminated really for about nine years. Uh, no phthalates in toys because of their effect on the, on, on the boys' uh, development. And uh, in this country, every time that's been attempted, it's been rebuffed, essentially, by major industry lobbying efforts. No controls on uh, phthalates uh, whatsoever. And so uh, what we have is a situation where we all now know that the world's toys are basically made in China. And so you have factories in China that are manufacturing toys uh, uh, without phthalates for uh, European uh, consumers and toys with phthalates uh, for American consumers. And I think this uh, might be one of the issues that, that is of concern, and you, you mentioned your local newspaper. But all Americans are now facing this, this possibility of picking up that, um, toys uh, that are made out of phthalates that the uh, other major uh, economic force has determined are too dangerous for their own children. And as a result of these kind of phenomena, we in the United States are actually becoming a dumping ground uh, for products that are being banned uh, elsewhere. And, uh, and I think it's quite the – other, the other part of uh, my book that I uh, talk about this is what was interesting was to find out how much of the Europeans' action was based on the evidence supplied by American scientists. So one thing we have here, even though we have a government that has really uh, retreated steadily from ideas of environmental protection, what we have here in the United States is a very strong uh, research capacity, a very, very uh, – very, very talented, innovative uh, scientists who are doing a lot of uh, very important you know, work at the highest levels, uh, still very sophisticated research operations here in the United States. And many of those scientists that supplied the data about the dangers of phthalates are American scientists. Some of them are even supported by our own EPA. And when they do, they do their work, and I track this, and I found it amazing that they did their work uh, demonstrating the um, links between phthalates and decreased testosterone uh, production. Uh, uh, there was no one to listen to that information here in the United States government. They didn't want to hear it here. So that was sent over to, uh, to Brussels where, where, where it provided the, the, the part of the foundation for the Europeans' action on this question. So this is partly what I talk about here in the United States is the enormous power of the chemical industry here in America has really, I think, in many ways paralyzed uh, the government 
uh, and prevented the government from really acting in the face of significant, you know, scientific evidence. And that's one of the things I was talking with Matt Moniz earlier this week uh, about this topic, and he was telling me, you know, that the Europeans don't have the testing facilities and that he'd done some of the testing on, on these phthalates and other products. Matt, in in your work in the laboratory, I mean, has it come up that w- amongst other chemists that this is something that needs to be addressed and it's just being blocked somewhere along the line? Uh not to disagree totally with uh, your author here, but it's a little overstretched with their thiolates, uh, in particular, are what what are called bioaccumulators. Okay, will accumulate uh, just like uh, certain metals will accumulate in your system, and that that was one of the problems, if I believe, the studies produced. Correct, Mark? Uh, yeah, yeah, their accumulation in the blood and right. what effect that could have. Right. Um, the particular chemicals like that are called bioaccumulants. Mm-hmm. They, they, yeah. they build up over time and, and can block certain uh, receptors in the brain depending upon if, where, where the, the material gets stored. Mm-hmm. Certain heavy yeah. metals will get stored in the spinal column and in the brain and other lighter particles, whether they're carbon chain-based like certain benzoids or, or, or alkyl chains, will, will get stored in muscular tissues and soft, soft muscles. It, it depends upon the product that you're dealing with. You know, I, I, I store all my heavy metals in my iPod, but well, I know what you're talking well, about. I've been doing this stuff 15 years. I've been working in the industry doing these tests for, well, almost 15 years now. Yeah, you've described it pretty well. <laughs> well, it's, that's what they pay me for. So. Yeah. Um, very well, I might add, too. Yeah, well, my main, my main forte is um, fate chemistry, um, metabolism and fate chemistry, how things get into the body, what the body does, how it breaks them down, and where it gets stored. A lot, of uh-huh. these, a lot of these materials that you're talking about are mandated to be tested by in the United States. So I know that for a fact because that's why I had a job. Um, uh, phthalates are, are tested here? I, I, I didn't see a lot of that. But we're, we're, they are a class of chemicals that are generally tested for plastic products in what are called the uh, – in was known as headspace analysis when they're packaged. What do they emit? What concentrations of mm-hmm. these things are re-emitted or, or exuded by the product into the packaging and on, on the surface of the material? They are part of a what are called the semivolars or semi-volatile organic car- compounds. Uh, they use a headspace analysis uh, instrument uh, generally attached to a gas chromatograph uh, which samples the uh, air or in internal packaging uh, atmosphere, and they make calculations based on how much is exuded into the packaging, how much can be assumed is on the surface of the material, and how much can be absorbed through the body over a certain amount but of time. What, what happens right. when they get the results of these tests? If The if results are sent to the manufacturer. The, there are specific federal guidelines that they have to go by for, okay. for the amounts. Right. If anything over that, the, then the lot is supposed to be. Uh, you know, recalled and returned, or or prevented for, from release. And Mark, that kind of I mean, differs from from what you've been found in your research, or uh, uh, a, a, a little bit. Only the thing that certainly it sounds like a very precise rendering of how of how tests are done. But I guess what what I what I write about is really the um, authority that the government has to act on those findings. So if you have those kind of tests, uh, uh, and it sounds like very precise tests uh, were done. Uh, the question is, at what stage does the government have the authority to act? Actually, and all the, uh, you, sorry to interrupt you, Mark, but you're right. These tests are designed by manufacturers. 
right, at, right. for their own purposes. You right. Know, there's not right. really truly a, a a federal regulation. You are correct on that. There no regulation. No, there is no oversight outside of yeah. self-regulation. Then there's no guarantee that these products are being pulled off the shelves. Right. And the reason, right. and I have to qualify yeah. what I'm saying. These tests were uh, re- required by um, the companies that were buying them. Uh, I don't want to use, but sure, names. Yeah, you don't have to name any specific. But names. large wholesale, you know, chain stores that you buy toys in and things like that will require, actually have been requiring these tests now for at least the past, I know, eight years, because that I used to do them. But, uh, you know, big, yeah. big, big chain uh, stores, you know, when they buy these lots, they ha- they require them to be tested. Mark, not to jump yeah. ahead to, to lead paints at all uh, in, in some of these products, too, but we're just a stone throw away from, from a Dollar Tree store here, and oh, they yeah. just had a recall two days ago. For, for some of the products that are in that are in their toys, and is this more of what we're talking about that until it reaches that saturation point, it kind of can fly under the radar? Uh, yeah, and I think I think just to distinguish a, a little bit, I think um, obviously the Chinese uh, imports have certainly shined a pretty harsh light on this whole on this whole phenomenon. But the, uh, the, 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 the to distinguish a little bit between what you're if you're talking about the lead toy recall at the dollar store and the phthalate that I was talking about, the uh, the key distinction is that lead is technically illegal in most uh, children's toys because I mean this is like a toxin that's been known for a long time. You know, when we were kids, you know, you're not supposed to chew a pencil. Is, is it completely so, illegal or only to a certain it, level? It, for the most part, for the most part, I think there are certain elements that it can be used in, but but it's certainly not supposed to be used in sort of jewelry and things like that. Uh, um, and I think one of the uh, main uh, issues here has been the complete collapse of the uh, uh, regulatory authorities of the United States to watch for those lead imports. So even when something is technically illegal, and there, there, there are some toys that it is Ill- illegal to have lead and others elements of toys that you can still use lead, but the key point is that these millions of toys have come into the United States uh, partly because, one, obviously they're manufactured in China and they slip them through, but there's nobody to stop them anywhere at the border. I mean, the, 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 the capacity, the, the Consumer Product Safety Commission, which is uh, the, the key body that's supposed to be monitoring safety and things like toys, you know, has had at least a 50% cutback in enforcement over the last uh, seven, eight years. And so the ability of the government to oversee uh, even those toxins that are illegal uh, has been extremely limited. And uh, what I talk about in my book uh, largely is, one, this collapse of enforcement authority, but, two, mostly the toxins that are actually perfectly legal uh, here in the United States, perfectly legal like phthalates uh, are basically uh, perfectly legal to have here, but are being banned elsewhere around the world. And we're talking not only in Europe, which is, which is some 500 million people, uh, but other emerging economies like Korea and Taiwan and Brazil and uh, are following many of the leads of the European Union. So I write about how we are being surrounded essentially by countries that are actually banning the use of these ingredients, which we are routinely exposed to. I'll give you an, uh, around the phthalate uh, question, which you raised uh, earlier. Uh, 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 even if the manufacturers may be doing some of these tests, uh, but, you know, tests that have been done not by the government but by various NGOs, uh, uh, various environmental health uh, groups have found numerous, you know, examples of phthalates in toys all over the place. And a lot of them are at these dollar stores. And the reason is that uh, some of the big manufacturers like, uh, and I think this might be what you're referring to, uh, sir, <laughs> uh, because some of the big manufacturers 
like the big transnational ones, Mattel and Hasbro and such, have actually decided to ban phthalates from their toys because the Europeans demanded it and they have a global market. But there are many uh, of the no-brand uh, varieties of toys, those generic toys that end up in the dollar store just down the block from your studio there and other places that don't care about a European market. Well, they can sell it. Uh, they sell their goods to the United States, and that's how this stuff gets in here. Is 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 often they're kind of these no no name uh, things Small that are fly by night groups. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But they're perfectly legal. That's perfectly legal. There's nobody in the government even looking for this stuff. And uh, this is often you know up to like twenty twenty five percent of the market too. It's not just insignificant parts of the market. And that's why. Uh, and that's and you know I, I have to say I spent I just want to stress I spent a lot of time I, I, I'm, I'm believe it or not even though I wrote a whole book on this topic I'm not one of these eco nuts in terms of obsessing about this that and the other in my life or diet but I, I am interested in the, a real picture of things how things actually work and and I looked very carefully at what happened when they banned phthalates uh, from toys uh, in the European Union uh, which began about eight years ago. And, uh, and and I looked at the effect that it had on the toy industry. And the effect it had, I found, I, I couldn't find a single analyst anywhere, and I'm talking about Goldman Sachs, you know, major investment firms that follow the toy industry, that could tell me uh, that the uh, phthalate uh, ban in Europe had anything but even a barely a negligible impact on economic uh, fortunes of the uh, toy industry. Uh, and, in fact, the toy industry there has grown. Well, you're, you're talking about, though, on the, on the consumer end of things, and and their costs uh, on their receiving end of things, but in your investigation, how about over in China, Taiwan, Korea, where they're manufacturing these products? Is there a uh, you know, some sort of sizable cost prohibitive thing for them to have to manufacture without these phthalates, or to manufacture two different versions of the product, one with, one without? Is is it hurting anything on the production end over there? Uh, well, that's a very good question. I think I think one when it's uh, often the, the manufacturing with and without dollars are different companies. You know, there could be you know there's like thousands as you probably know by you know these outsourced companies. You know, the the X Y Z company is here and the the A B C companies over there, and so uh, uh, um, is there a financial distinction? And the answer is by now there really isn't. I think at the very beginning when you ban a, a substance, there's no question that a company has to put an initial investment into retooling their uh, production facilities. And there's no question that there's an incremental uh, investment increase. But the, uh, the argument that that is a significant enough increase to actually either hurt business or hurt consumers has not held up whenever it's actually happened. So there's no question that, one, there's an initial investment in a different kind of production. You have to, you know, the machines have to be doing something slightly different in an assembly line, for example, with a different ingredient. But once the new ingredient is integrated into the process, then the price kind of returns down to a stable level. And the abuse of an alternative uh, is, is, is then broadly uh, accepted, and the price begins to go down. And if you look at the effects, that's what, ha that's what happens, is, is the alternatives are developed, and the price begins to go down. So from what I could tell so far uh, is that there's been very little economic impact on the consumer or even on the uh, producer. There certainly is probably a very, very small incremental sort of investment necessary to retool a production operation. And... Uh, and that's and that's and I guess that's a trade-off, really, that you that you sure. make, even if it's it might up the price by in this case two or three cents. It's certainly not a significant amount. 
All right, well, why don't we take a break, and then when we come back, if anybody out there has any questions from Mark Shapiro, author of Exposed, The Toxic Chemistry of Everyday Products and What's at Stake for American Power, you can give us a call at 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Hi everybody, Tim Weisberg here from Spooky South Coast, wishing you a happy holiday season. And of course, now it's time to start getting that shopping done. We've had our Thanksgiving turkey, and now we've got to think about heading out to the stores and finding just the right gift. Well, you don't actually need to do that anymore, because through the wonders of the Internet, you can do all your shopping at home. And even if you'd like to give somebody something homemade, but you don't have the time to do so, well, Knitbits has you covered. If you just go to their website, knitbits.etsy.com that's k-n-i-t-b-i-t-s dot e-t-s-y dot com you can find great homemade crocheted and knitted items for sale uh, right now on Knitbits they have a crocheted cell phone holder for three fifty. they have crocheted baby bibs for $10 and even a complete baby set for $25 and if you go to the Knitbits site you can also contact Knitbits there as well. If there's something you'd like to have made that isn't there, or if there's something you like you'd like to see in a different color, just shoot them an email, let them know what you're looking for, and they'll be happy to comply. And of course, all items on Knitbits' website is guaranteed. They have 100% positive feedback. Imagine the smiles on people's faces Christmas morning when they open up a homemade knitted item from Knitbits. So if you would like to find out more, again, knitbits.etsy.com. So, from all of us at Spooky South Coast and from everyone at Knitbits, happy holidays and happy shopping. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. Say that twice, mornings. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. And we are talking to Mark Shapiro, author of Exposed, The Toxic Chemistry of Everyday Products and What's at Stake for American Power. If you'd like to check out the book, just go to SpookySouthCoast.com, click on the blog, and right there under Mark's picture, in the picture of the book, you will see a link to purchase to order the book. It's, uh, it's currently sold out on the Chelsea Green website, but I'm sure, Mark, you can get it from Amazon and Barnes & Noble and all those other websites too, right? Yeah, yeah, it's up on Amazon uh, uh, right now. <laughs> all right, so then there you go. It's, it's a great book to get people uh, for Christmas, uh, if they, especially if they like to find out more about this stuff. I know my wife has become almost obsessed with some of these toy recalls. Uh, because, you know, we have a three-year-old son, and he's got Thomas the Tank Engine, he's got Diego, he's got Sesame Street, and for a while uh, it seems like every night there was something on the news about something being called for lead paint, we'd have to send something back, where we finally just got to the point where we called the doctor and said, you know, how serious is this? And they said, you know, it's not that serious on an individual basis, but the fact that they're producing these products with as much lead paint in it is just bad news, to the point where you have the CEO of one of these companies committing suicide over it. 
Right. Yeah. I was. Uh, yeah. That's incredible. That's really incredible. I'm actually, to hear how you, you know, this how this whole story came home to roost in your very own living room. Really, you know, it's a toy in your living room, and that's that's really well to me what this what this is about. I'll, I'll tell you the truth too, Mark. Uh, I actually the the day after I first heard about the toy recall and we were packaging everything up, that's when I first received the email from Chelsea Green talking about your book, and I said we have to talk to this guy. <laughs> I see. I see. Well, I didn't expect, God, you know, God knows, I didn't expect this quite to happen at this time. But um, when the book came out, but the, uh, uh, the, the, you know, the fact is that this whole situation has really shined a, um, you know, a very strong light at the at the at the consequences of 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 not paying attention to really the 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 the, the, the implications. Uh, it's kind of an unhindered look. I mean, basically what we're talking about is, you know, people have just not been thinking about what the collateral damage is. Like, for example, 20, 30 uh, years ago, when many of the things that we use now were, were being designed, I think I think it's, it's, it's uh, um, probably fair to say that many chemists, and, and it sounds like, Matt, uh, <laughs> you sound like you're very knowledgeable about this field. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Well, I've been uh, in it a while. What's that? I say I've been in chemistry a while. <laughs> All right, good. So you can correct me because I, I think what's interesting is I found in doing the book is really talking to a lot of designers and product designers and chemists and, and uh, people who know the insides of how uh, all these various elements work. There wasn't a lot of thought back then as to the, the, the priority, and that's probably the, the, the fun thing also about being a chemist or a designer, is to like make all these kind of things happen, all these neat things happen by combining different, various elements uh, to make a cool uh, new color, if you're talking about a cosmetic or, or a nifty new connection, an electronic device. I mean, it's pretty exciting and interesting stuff if you can kind of figure all that out. And the, uh, but the, 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 the fact is that there was very little stress put on what the collateral effects of the actual ingredients could actually have. So, I mean, the cool thing is like how all this stuff works really is really kind of fascinating and really interesting. And um, and yet uh, now we have enough scientific uh, knowledge that's beginning to develop to actually begin to understand what effect some of the elements in these uh, items we're talking about here can have on the human health. Not everything. And and the point of this also is that, that in every case that I'm talking about, there have been found uh, far less toxic alternatives. So those alternatives are out there. It's just in a way you need a law to prompt industry to force themselves to find that because, uh, and, and again, you can correct me, Matt, if I'm wrong, but I mean, chemists weren't prompted to think through. Uh, they're not toxicologists. They're chemists. They know how, how neat combinations are made and how to make stuff happen. But now we understand some of the toxic elements of those ingredients. And, uh, and, 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 and what we've seen in our country is a, is a complete unwillingness really to act on those hazards. Well, I think what the issue is, is there are many different forms of chemists. I myself am, I am what is called an analytical chemist. I take all of the materials and, uh, or a finished product, tell you how it was made, what, it, what was used to build it, or take it apart and tell you what, what it's made of. I use all kinds of uh, very expensive instrumentation to determine, you know, these pro product uh, compounds and stuff like that. Now, you have formulators. These are the people that build and make these uh, compounds that you're talking about. They, you're right, they may not necessarily care about what the other uh, side 
products or byproducts of making the process does to the body. Their concern is to make it turn that color or have this particular property be the hard or soft, and they don't care about what the secondary effects of it are. They were just, right. they were asked to formulate this, and this is what they did. Uh, toxicologists, you know, are familiar with compounds that are uh, relatively toxic. The laboratory I first started working in was an aquatic ecotox laboratory. We would test materials on um, fish, basically, fish and uh, various types of sea um, creatures. Now, not necessarily like large fish, but small fish, but like Daphnia magna, Duvia magna, uh, which not, were... Not to cut you off, but we are up against the news break. Okay. I, I just wanted to, you know, we... Where we have to wrap things up because being on in a different time mark, we're not in our usual flow of how the show works. Ah, okay. Usually, we'll, you know, we can expound for hours, but uh, tonight we're on a very strict schedule because, you know, NFL football is coming up and uh, all hail oh, the yeah. mighty NFL. But essentially, Mark, Mark is correct, yeah. Mark, one thing, too, that we're not going to have time to get to, and I think it's something that people should pick up the book and read more about, is e-waste, electronic waste, all these products that we buy and we throw away when we get a new one. You know, people get a new iPod, they toss the old one away, and they don't think about the hazards that could happen somewhere down the line, and you address that in the book. Yes, yeah, no, yeah, I do, and I talk about uh, the similar process about how some of the chemicals in, in some of those uh, iPods and DVDs ultimately end up leaking into the environment, and... Uh, poisoning people and poisoning air and water and, uh, and and look at a very different way that that question is being handled um, and uh, and uh, and you know I very much appreciate your interest in the book because I, I think what I've tried to do here is not completely uh, 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 give people a too grim assessment because there's actually another way to do it and it's actually being done and I try to suggest how that is happening now today too. All right, the book is called Exposed, the Toxic Chemistry of Everyday Products and What's at Stake for American Power. Mark Shapiro is the author. We'll be back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Thanks, Mark. Lost civilizations, extraterrestrials, myths and monsters, missing persons, magic and witchcraft, unexplained phenomena. For 58 years, Fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate is a factual magazine containing articles by experts in all walks of life and by others just like you who have had something dynamic, significant, and truthful to say. Keep up with the latest on all aspects of the paranormal, angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To subscribe, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. I know who you are. Spooky South Coast. That's a good show, man. You know what? I got a theory about your show. You guys got no idea what's going on. Well, excuse me for having enormous flaws that I don't work on. Spooky South Coast is back. The key of the whole thing is to think as a child. And for me, that comes very easy. I can not afraid. You will be. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does it. 
Welcome back to our number two of Spooky South Coast. Actually, it'll be half hour number three. Because we are here till 7.30, and then it's time for NFL football. What's going on tonight, Matt? Who's on the NFL slate? Do you have any idea? I have no idea. I don't know either. I, I'm pretty sure it's the Cincinnati Bengals. Ho- hold on. Hold on one second. It's going to be a barn burner tonight. It's the Cincinnati Bengals and the San Francisco 49ers, which uh, everybody root for the 49ers to lose because that'll be the only pick the Patriots have in the upcoming NFL draft is the 49ers pick. But I don't think they're going to get the number one pick because the Dolphins are just that terrible. But that uh, that wraps up tonight's sports talk here on Spooky South Coast, which you know I could do that for hours, but you guys wouldn't know what I'm talking about. Don't so. they lose the first pick because of that stupid spy camera thing? They lost their own first-round pick, what oh. they call their natural first-round pick. Um, but they gained the 49ers pick in a trade, so they will retain that. But anyway, we will get back to talking about the paranormal, which is what we talk about best here on Spooky South Coast. But we'd like to thank Mark Shapiro, author of Exposed, for joining us in the first hour. And, folks, if you just heard just that little bit of what we covered, then you know there's so much more to this story. Uh, pick up the book, read through it, and if you have any questions, you can always email Matt Moniz, uh, science advisor at SpookySouthCoast.com. He'll help address any concerns you might have about some of these toxic products as well. I mean, you know a lot of the I right know, top of I head. know about the toxic materials. You may not know any specific item. Yeah, you maybe won't know a, like what it's being put in, but if somebody says, "Hey, you know, this product I just looked it up online has a high level of, you know, whatever right. product," you'll you'll be able to tell them what the effects are and right. That that's not a problem. And he'll be able to tell you firsthand because he's uh, exposed himself to a lot of these products. He's exposed himself to a lot of people <laughs> and a lot of things, so that's why he wears a trench coat. Look at the police <laughs> log. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the police log. Good call. All right, so uh, we haven't done it in a couple of weeks now because we've had these huge shows, which are all going to be put up, by the way, on the Internet this week, I, I promise. Uh, I was telling Matt Moniz earlier, basically the problem is I've had so much work to do and I've needed my computer for all this work that I have to do covering the Celtics and the Patriots and high schools and everything else that I haven't been able to sit my computer aside for a little while and upload these shows. But I will get them up. Uh, South Coast Haunts, which was a great show a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and then last week's show, uh, what did we talk about last week? I don't remember. We didn't have a guest, though. I, mean, I remember we riffed. Uh, we had a bunch of people call in. That's true. Maurice. Maurice yeah. Deschardins called in to talk about his book and The Devil's Alibi. And all that stuff will be up, we promise, sometimes in the next couple of days, as well as this show tonight. So, But uh, it's back. It's better than ever. It is... The Week in Weird. It, doesn't it just seem appropriate to do The Week in Weird tonight while the, t- uh, the TV here in the Spooky Studio is showing, like, Flower Power and Groovy Love CDs from the Time Life Collection? They have all the psychedelic imagery on the TV screen. It just seems perfect for The Week in Weird. What do you think? Are we ready to blow people's minds? I'm ready. All right. Matt Moniz, are you ready? Always. Yeah. You're always blowing people's minds. All right, well, this comes from the Associated Press. No votes have been cast for president just yet, but the Kreskin primary is over. George Kresge Jr., better known as the Amazing Kreskin, wrote the name of his choice to win next year's election, had a rabbi sign the paper, and dropped it into a locked box last Thursday. 
Kreskin says he didn't want to make a presidential prediction, but the name of the winner came to him three months ago and wouldn't leave him alone. So he came up with the scheme to write it down and lock it away. If I can remain impartial, at least by putting it away, sealing it, having someone witness what I wrote, then I can at least get the credit, because I really think I hit it, the 72-year-old mentalist said. He left the box for safekeeping on a shelf above the bar at the World Bar across the street from the United Nations. Just in case that's not secure enough, Kreskin's giving a copy to Joey Reynolds, a talk show host on a New York radio station, which we can't name here. Kreskin makes his living performing mind-reading tricks for hundreds of audiences a year. News organizations sometimes ask him for news predictions around New Year's, but this is the first time he's ever forecast a presidential election. He says anyone can do it, but you can't do it from your own political position, he said. you got to step away. Not that he's infallible, Kreskin's website notes that in October he predicted that the New York Yankees would not abandon their manager, Joe Torre. The forecast may have been clouded by my own wishful thinking, he writes. So there you go. The Kreskin primary is over. He's made his prediction. Won't tell anybody what it is, but we will find out. You, you better believe that Spooky South Coast will be right on top of that come November of 2008. All right, Matt Costa, what do you have for us? Overnight shift to be classified as probable cancer... Probable cause of cancer, like UV rays and diesel exhaust fumes, working the graveyard shift will soon be listed as a probable cancer cause of cancer and is based on research that finds higher rates of breast and prostate cancer among men and women who work day <coughs> who work whose work day starts at dark. Next month the International Agency of Research on Cancer, a branch of the World Health Organization, will add overnight shift work as a probable carcinogen. Up to now, the organization has considered the work cancer link to be uncertain, controversial, or unproven. However, the high cancer rates don't prove without working overnight can cause cancer. There may be other factors common among graveyard shift workers that raise the risk for cancer. Though scientists do suspect that overnight work is dangerous because it dis disrupts the body's biological clock, the hormone melatonin, which can suppress tumor development, it normally produces at night. If the graveyard shift theory eventually proves correct, millions of people worldwide will, would be affected. Experts estimate the, that almost 20% of the working population in developed countries work night shifts. Because these studies mostly focus on nurses and airline crews, Bigger studies in different populations are needed to confirm or disprove the findings. Sounds like another book from Mark Shapiro. It does. You know, I have a theory of why graveyard shift workers develop more cancer than anybody else. Or, is it, is or it the have a high rate of cancer. No, not the name. Okay. It's the fact that the only places to eat at 2 a.m. are <laughs> McDonald's, Burger King, Taco Bell, and all these late night drive throughs So they're eating all this crap. They're ingesting gas station sandwiches, which I'm pretty sure there's a tumor in every bite. Well, you're talking about stuff that's generally packed in styrofoam. You have styrenes. So there you go, on top of that, too. So there's... there's Egg salad from a gas station. Oh, <laughs> it's almost really redundant. Special. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. You know, usually when I pull into a gas station, I expect that egg smell, that sulfur smell to be my catalytic converter, but no, it's my sandwich. Or the barbecue. <laughs> we, could, we could do a whole show just on the mysteries of gas station food. We could bring it in. We'll have Moniz do the testing. We'll eat it. We'll see what happens. I'm sure something paranormal will happen. That's for sure. All right, Matt Moniz, what do you have for us? It's something from the BBCnews.com. A spooky image of a priest executed for treason over the gunpowder plot 
has appeared on a 17th century book thought to be bound in his skin. So it's claimed. Auctioneers said the face of Father Henry Garrett, oh sorry, Garnett, could be seen peering from the cover of the rare and macabre book with the Jesuit priest about the book. Sorry about that. Rare and macabre book about the Jesuit priest's death. The item will go under the hammer at Wilkinson's Auctioneers in Duncaster, South Yorkshire on Sunday. Garnett was hanged in May of 1606 for his involvement in the gunpowder plot. Sid Wilkinson from Wilkinson's Auctioneer said, It's a bit spooky because the front of the book looks like it has the face of a man on it, which is presumed to be the victim's face. Okay. The book called A True and Perfect Relation of the Whole Proceedings Against the, the Late Most Barbarous Traitors, Garnett, a Jesuit and his Confederates, was published in 1606 just after his execution. The lot is considered so unusual, there is no reserve price attached to it. Garnett's involvement in the plot to kill King James I was controversial. He was claimed he knew about the conspiracy but not but was not involved. Some scholars now believe he had been trying to prevent the plot to blow up the House of Parliament rather than conspiring to kill the king. According to legend, a piece of bloodstained straw found at the scene of his execution started to develop an exact image of the priest's face. Wow, that's pretty creepy. So, uh, did you put in a bid? No, I already have one bound book in human flesh in my possession. You do? Well, just without getting into too many details, just what's the book about? Never mind. All right. Is it how to make a book cover out of human skin? Well, Lovecraft talked about it. Okay. Sounds like a good coffee table book. I'm sure if you go over your house, it is sitting on the coffee table, too. Uh, this comes from Yahoo News. We, we hinted at it a couple weeks ago, but here's the full story. A sequel to the blockbuster thriller The Da Vinci Code is set to lift the veil on mysterious Freemason symbols carved into the very fabric of the historic streets and buildings of the U.S. Capitol. Novelist Dan Brown has set the new adventures of his hero, scholar-adventurer Robert Langdon, right in the heart of Washington, which could reveal some astonishing facts for history buffs. Brown, quote, had a contact with us, but then cut it short. We're all sitting around waiting for his book to come out, but nobody knows what he's going to say, said Akram Elias, Grandmaster-elect of Washington's Grand Lodge. According to the pre-publicity, the book, the working title of which is The Solomon Key, will feature Langdon, hero of the mass-selling Da Vinci Code, played by Tom Hanks in the hit film version. Quote, for the first time, Langdon will find himself embroiled in a mystery on U.S. soil. This new novel explores the hidden history of our nation's capital, Brown wrote in a posting on his official website. Washington has a strong historic roots in Freemasonry, an old and widespread fraternity which traditionally practiced secret rituals. Despite its reputation for secrecy, the Freemason community is noticeably open in the United States. Lodges are advertised in the phone books and their signs are prominently displayed. The first U.S. president after whom the city is named George Washington was a Mason, as were his fellow founding fathers James Madison, Benjamin Franklin, James Hoban, the architect of the White House. The broad steps, stone sphinxes, and colonnades of the Masonic Temple dominate a corner of 16th Street near the city center, one of a number of Masonic lodges in the capital, just a stone's throw away from the White House. 
Elias cites theories that the city streets themselves are laid out in the shape of secret Masonic signs. It may be coincidence, but there are indications that are difficult to ignore, he said. Establishing the nation's capital, George Washington is said to have demanded that it be laid out in a symbolic square. It's fascinating, Elias said. If you take an aerial view of Washington, you cannot but see the perfect square and the compass which are the universal symbols of Freemasonry, meaning restitude and equality. The shape of a square and compass is also formed by drawing a line on the map between two of the city's major landmarks, the Capitol and the Lincoln Memorial, and along the walls of the White House and the Jefferson Memorial. At the center of these stands the George Washington Monument, a vast brisk obelisk whose dimensions themselves are symbolic, 555 feet high by 55 wide. The number five is said to refer to the traditional five orders of architecture, which in turn relates to the Freemasons' regard for geometry as a symbol of order, and of the great geometrician, the supreme being. Inside the Capitol building, the heart of U.S. lawmaking, which sits at the dead center of the square city boundaries, lies a cornerstone laid by George Washington himself, dressed in his ceremonial apron in a Masonic ritual back in 1793. So some play down the Freemasonry aspect of Washington, D.C., but it's obviously all around there. Matt Moniz, you're a Freemason. What do they tell you in the secret meetings that you can now reveal on the radio for the first time ever? <laughs> we'll leave it at that. They're not as secret as you think. Okay. Well, you know, you can go to askamason.com and ask a Mason anything you want, right? Yeah. So they're, mean, they're very open. In terms of secret society, all they mean is who is a member is what is secret. And certain terms that... Not that much of a secret. You got a big ass sticker on your car. <laughs> I know because I have the car. In other words, the membership is not published. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, but if you follow the roots of the Freemasons, you can understand why they were secret back in in the times when they were first right. coming about. And so now the secrecy is just part of the tradition. It's not that there's anything to hide. It's not a cult. Believe me, I infiltrated well, it. I went to a Rainbow Girls dance. It's not the cult that I thought it was. <laughs> no. I mean, most people, it, back then, these people were responsible for the revolution. It, they were about free thinking and democracy and charity, things that weren't very popular back then. But aren't too popular now, either. So, <laughs> it yeah, seems. It's starting to become that way, isn't it? All right. Matt Costa, you have another story for us? I do. All right. This is, this is brought to our attention from Jim D. on the message board. All right, Jim D. gets another bumper sticker. He <laughs> He's got enough to uh, bumper his whole car. Speaking of which, we do have to send out those bumper stickers. We promise everybody we're working on it. In time for Christmas. Are we extending it to email? Emails uh, up till the end of the year? Is that what we're doing? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, till the end of the year. So at the end of the year, we're going to send them all out once and for all. That sounds good. Okay, so everybody that wants a free bumper sticker, email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. Uh, send us your name and your address, and we'll mail you out a bumper sticker. Now till December 31st, offer some, you know, some restrictions apply, limit one per household. Yada, yada, yada. Employees of WBSM and Spooky South Coast are not eligible. Okay, sorry, go ahead. Uh, do you want to do it? Do you want to say it? Katmandu! <laughs> All right, from Katmandu in Nepal. I'm really, really good. <laughs> You're a big Bob Seger. If I ever get out of here. No, I hate Bob Seger. I just love that song. <laughs> Members of a TV production team investigating the existence of the legendary Yeti in Nepal said Friday that they have found footprints intriguing enough to merit th further investigation. The team of nine producers from Sci-Fi's Destination Truth spent a week in the icy Chumbo region around Mount Everest and found the footprints on the bank of the Manju River at an elevation of 9,350 feet. 
One of the three footprints found was about one foot long, with an appearance similar to those of an ape-like creature. Tales by Sherpa porters guides and guides about the wild and hairy creatures lurking in the Himalayas have seized the imagination of mountain climbers going to Mount Everest since the 1920s. Several teams have searched for it and some have even claimed to have discovered footprints, but no reputable investigator has actually seen the creature, nor has it been scientifically established that the Yeti exists. A member, <clears throat> a member said that the footprints, set, the footprints were set on lumps of sandy soil and will be sent to experts in the United States for analysis. The samples were said to be relatively f fresh and left some 24 hours before they found them. Even if the traces are found to be authentic footprints, it is not yet clear how they could be attributed to the Yeti rather than, say, a less exotic mountain creature. So, I don't know, it wasn't me. That's all I can tell you. But thank you, Jim D., for that. If you have any stories you'd like to submit to The Week in Weird, just go to SpookySouthCoast.com, click on the Week in Weird thread on the message board, drop the story or a link to it in there, and if we use the story on the air, we'll give you credit, send you a bumper sticker. So uh, why don't we uh, take this call here uh, before we go to commercial. Good evening, around Spooky South Coast. How you doing? Hi, Tim. It's Chris. How's hey. everyone there? Hey, Chris. How you been? Good. Pretty good. Hey, I got a great suggestion for stocking stuffers. I just picked up my copy of Monster Spotter's Guide to North America by Scott Francis. Okay. It's excellent. Uh, this is my kind of guy. It's got every monster known to mankind in um, North America and Mexico, Canada as well, and some illustrations. Very good reading. Any any that we could find in this area, in the South oh, Coast area? And he's, he's really done some thorough research. I mean, it's excellent. Everything. Everything you could possibly want. Um, UFO-related, um, Native American folklore. He's really done some really good research. In fact, you might make an excellent guest for your program, Scott Francis. And also, there's another book that's out now. I, caught, I didn't get a, a copy of it yet, but it's on my uh, list. Memoirs of an Exorcist. Ah, sounds excellent. Yeah, I don't have the author's name for anyone, but it's it's right there on the shelf, ready to grab. All right. So it's uh, good reading. We'll be sure to check it out. We'll try to get the authors on the show for the new year. Oh, that's, uh, that'd be great. In fact, um, I might stop by the studio and show you my copy, and you can thumb through it. It's okay. excellent. We might want to hang on until next week because we're cutting right out of here. We all got to get home. Okay, great. That's the problem with an early show is uh, the wives make plans, you know? I know it. Matt Moniz doesn't have to worry about that, but uh, <laughs> Koss and I. Well, tell him to drive carefully. I'm spicy out there. Okay, we will do. Thank you, Chris. All right. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Take care. All right. So there's a couple suggestions for you. Uh, next week we will be back with Courtney Roberts, author of The Star of the Magi, The Mystery That Heralded the Coming of Christ. We will be back at 6 p.m. And then no show the week after that because of Patriots football. Uh, so for Matt Moniz, for Matt Costa, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spooktacular. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, tomorrow. I know the supernatural is...